So this summer, we are delving into the deep, cool waters of God's love for us. Not necessarily sort of in a communal way, in the sense that God so loved the world, or God so loves New Glasgow Christian Church, or all the people of Canada on Canada's Day, but in a very specific way, in a very targeted sense, we are coming to terms with the reality that God loves you. You and you and you and you. God loves you. And uh, today we're going to take a look at the fact that God's love for you can meet all of your needs. Uh, the standard summary that, that I always fall back on, I've shown you this before, is uh, something that you probably learned in grade 11 or 12, and it's uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And uh, it's from a paper that he wrote, A Theory of Motivation. Essentially, basically, he said that people are motivated by um, uh, certain needs that we have. And basically, there's the sort of the basic needs, the lower needs, and then there's psychological needs that we meet, and then there's, uh, thirdly, uh, this need in us to self-actualize. So basically, I like this uh, because it helps us understand the wide range of needs that we all have as individuals. Whether you believe in, in Maslow's theory of motivation is irrelevant. I just like the fact that he gives us a nice synopsis of some of the, some of the needs. So basically, you know, he talks about what, what we were talking about during communion, you know, the, the physiological needs of food and water, and then we have safety needs, we've got to stay safe. Um, uh, belonging and, and love needs are psychological. The, the need to uh, feel uh, worth and value, esteem needs. And then uh, the, the need for, um, I guess the way I like to think of it is the, the need to, to sort of reach in your life that sweet spot. That you, you, you know that you are where you should be and you're doing what God wants you to be. And it's, it's, uh, it's the sweet spot. You are doing exactly what God created you to do. And so those are, those are the needs. Today we're going to take a look at Psalm 23. And it's David's meditation on how the Lord meets all of those needs. And so we're going to take a look at uh, Psalm 23. And in this psalm, basically David uses uh, two images or uh, two analogies, analogies to present um, how God um, meets our needs. On the one side, something that he and his readers would be very familiar with the shepherding life. And um, he describes the relationship between the Lord and his followers as that of a shepherd and his sheep. And then the second part of the song uh, alludes to this idea of uh, ancient Jewish hospitality, which is quite different than what we think of as hospitality. And so we're going to take a look at, at how he uh, talks about God being our sufficiency and our provider. So we're going to begin with um, this relationship that he describes in Psalm 23 of uh, the relationship between the sheep and a shepherd. Now, now in 21st century North America, we, we really don't have any understanding of this relationship. 
Um, and so it does uh, behoove us to just take a few minutes to think about the relationship between the ancient uh, shepherd and, and his sheep. One of the startling things, I think, is that, Jesus, uh, that, da that David does is that he identifies as the sheep. That's a very humbling identification. You know, we've, we've sanitized and idealized sheep. They're so white and so fluffy and lovely, so gentle, meek and mild. Um, the reality is that, that, that pretty much everything that sheep are grates against how we as hum, humans see ourselves. Let me explain. Essentially, sheep are needy, defenseless animals who require a benevolent caretaker. They are needy, defenseless animals who require a benevolent caretaker in order for them not just to have a good life, but to survive. They would not survive. Domesticated sheep would not survive if there was not a benevolent leader, a shepherd. The other thing you need to know about sheep, that's, you know, David sees himself as a sheep and wants us to see ourselves as sheep, is that they, they gravitate to the herd. Because in the herd they find, or the flock, they find um, comfort, and they find strength, and they find protection. In fact, there, there literally are instances recorded where hundreds of sheep because of their herd instinct, when startled by uh, a predator, have actually literally run off cliffs together. Because they have that herd instinct. David accepts that he is the sheep. And scripture reinforces this. Throughout scripture, we see us as being the sheep. We are taught in school and we are taught in our culture not to be sheep. <laughs> uh, we're not supposed to be needy. We're supposed to be self-sufficient. Uh, we're not supposed to be uh, defenseless. We're supposed to be strong. Um, we're not supposed to be dependent on anybody. But this is the image that Scripture gives to us as to who we are. Jesus himself reinforced this. In Matthew uh, 9.36, we read, When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We are sheep. We are needy, we are defenseless. We need a benevolent caretaker. And David had no problem assuming that. And so, he did. In Psalm 23, though, David doesn't 
assume the role as a sheep that's outside of the flock without a benevolent caretaker or a shepherd. His shepherd is a good shepherd. His shepherd is the Lord. A shepherd in ancient times was not a particularly desirable occupation because given the nature of sheep being totally dependent on you, it was a constant and complete consumption of your life. The flocks, even if they were in a containment, were still vulnerable. And so to be a shepherd was an all-consuming occupation. The flocks, the sheep's very existence was dependent upon you. Without the shepherd, the, the sheep would uh, not survive. They might drown or they might starve to death. They might be eaten by predators. And this is the thought that we get behind Christ's identification as the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we all know that before David was a king, he was a shepherd. He, he understood completely the, the dependence of, of and, and the relationship that existed between the shepherd and the sheep. And to be a good shepherd was, was really hard work and, and required so much of you. And so he writes these words, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. <laughs> I lack nothing. Think of Maslow. <laughs> Think of that pyramid of all of those needs. And David said, I lack nothing. Jesus, in claiming that he was the good shepherd, Ask people to follow him, and you will lack nothing. We read in uh, Philippians 4, 19, Paul says, if you are a follower of the good shepherd, he says this, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, or to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And then David continues, He's, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he, lies, he, he leads me beside quiet waters. The shepherd, in an arid climate, would know precisely where to find green pastures, which wasn't that easy in an arid climate. He knew, he knew the spots. He knew where the water was not rushing, but was still, so that there could be a drink. And so he provided for the sheep their sheep's phys physiological needs. He didn't leave it up to the sheep to try to find green pastures. The good shepherd let, leads his sheep into those wonderful places where there is food, there is water, there is rest. Scripture is unequivocal in indicating 
that God is the all-sufficient provider. Do you remember when he was talking to his disciples? And in Matthew 6.33, we read these words, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What were all those things? Food. Clothing. He says, don't worry about where you're going to get your food. Don't worry where you're going to get your clothing. Don't worry where you're going to stay the night. All of these things will be taken care of. You've got important things to do. You need to seek the kingdom of God. All of those things will be provided for you. But the Lord's provision, the shepherd's provision, goes beyond basic, uh, meeting those basic physiological needs. The shepherd provides contentment, peace, satisfaction, a sense of well-being. David writes, he refreshes my soul. John and Timmy have introduced this song, and maybe it's familiar. We, we've been singing it lately, though. It's, it's a wonderful song. He brings times of refreshing. What does it mean to bring times of refreshing? How does he refresh our soul? I believe it means that the Lord our shepherd gives us a true sense of well-being, that all is well. Paul understood that. He understood what it was to be content, and he wrote to the Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all peace, uh, all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you should abound in hope. The shepherd, knowing that the shepherd is providing for all of our needs, should give our souls refreshment and understanding that all is well. It is well with my soul. And just as the shepherd leads his sheep skillfully to the best, safe, bountiful places, David writes that he also leads him along right paths, or paths of righteousness. Our shepherd promises us that if we follow him, he'll lead us into a relationship with himself that is what he created us for. We will know, we will realize the beauty of meaning and purpose, actualization, if you will. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I'm in that place, that right place, where things are as they should be. All is well. Well, so far, David's painted a really idyllic picture, hasn't he? <laughs> but you know, David's life was not some kind of ideal fairy tale without its challenges, without its darkness, without its very difficult times. And our lives aren't like that either. So signing on to the Good Shepherd does not give us a pass on living in a sinful and broken world. 
And because we live in a sinful and broken world, there's going to be challenges. And so he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, it's not out of the ordinary to walk through the dark valley. It is part of what it is to be a person, a human living in a fallen and broken world. There will be no dark valleys in heaven. As a matter of fact, it says that <laughs> there won't be a sun either. No need. The Lamb, His very nature, His very character, His being will be the light. There will be no dark valleys, but in this life in which we live, there are dark valleys. Jesus was not offering some idealistic, unrealistic, fairy tale lifestyle for his disciples. He said this, he says, I told you these things so that in me uh, you have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And David indicates the same. He says, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And of course the rod was something for protection against predators, and the staff was something to use to, to help the sheep navigate those dark valleys and those harsh times. Paul writes, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so David comes to the end of, and, and you know, there's disagreement. Some people have tried to continue the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep into the the next verses, but I believe that he just changes over to another analogy, another image that is very common and very would be very well understood by his readers. And that is the, 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 the ancient art of hospitality. In which he sees himself as the guest and he sees his Lord as the host. Let's face it. The art of hospitality is on life support in our culture. We're not good at it. And we're getting worse. Probably because we made it all the stuff it's not supposed to be. But the ancient art of Jewish hospitality was so rich, so wonderful. To be a guest was an honor. I've stolen a description from a rabbi who writes this, the ancient Jewish practices of hospitality certainly revolve around welcoming strangers into the home and offering them food and shelter and protection. But Jewish hospitality practices have different dimensions. My reflection about Jewish hospitality traditions center on two Hebrew terms associated with this ancient practice. Jewish hospitality, as I understand it, then combines both... Um, you know, I can't say that. Haknasat, Orkim, 
the act of bringing in of guests, and Panem had a shot, the act of sharing of our joy and abundance with strangers, with new faces. You see, David and his contemporaries knew what hospitality was like, and it was on a plane that we have never really experienced, I don't think. It was extravagant. If you were a guest, you were lavished upon. It was gracious. It was inclusive. You could be a stranger and be welcomed in. Just think about Abraham and, and, and Sarah and, and the three strangers. And Abraham goes out to them, come into my tent. And he welcomes them in. Let's eat! You know, and it's just this generous, welcoming, abundant experience. This is how David sees his Lord's hospitality. One of the extensions of that hospitality, which we don't know anything about, is that not only were guests fed and given time to rest and, and refreshed, when they were under your tent or in your tent, they were under your, you were under their protection. The host protection. You were secure. You were secure. And it was the host's responsibility to fend off anybody who was going to do you harm. It's quite out there compared to what our hospitality is. Our hospitality is a light lunch, <coughs> some nice talk to probably 3 p.m. on a Sunday, and that's it. David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, which is just a sign of blessing, a way of blessing somebody. My cup overflows. Paul again writes, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So not only does David paint this picture of, of, of his Lord as being this good shepherd, but he also paints the picture of uh, uh, an incredible host who just lavishes bounty upon his guests and provides wonderful protection. And David concludes his song by, by stating that because he has such a, a gracious and good host. He lacks nothing. And he will only know goodness and love when he's in the house of the Lord. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe that Paul just sort of put it in different words. He says, and we know that in all things God works for those for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so how did David do in kicking off Maslow's hierarchy of needs? David says that his Lord provides for his physiological needs, his safety needs, 
his belonging and love needs, his esteem needs. How can you not feel special? How can you not feel love when, when you have a good shepherd who provides so bountifully? And self-actualization, I take self out, to be honest, because in fact, God wants you to find that place in which he is, or he wants you to be in that place that he's designed for you. And he wants you to live the life that is in step with the spirit, that is in keeping with his will, which is the sweet spot that God has for each one of us. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, I believe him. I believe that that is not just his experience, I believe that it is a promise that we can hold on to as well as followers of Jesus Christ. Just one last thought, and that is, as I said from the outset, God's love for you can meet all your needs. You see, as a, a sheep and as a guest, we too have a role to play like David. If we hope to experience all of the blessings, all of the provision, if we want the Lord to be our provider, if, he, if we want Him to meet all of our needs, we have to choose to be sheep. We have to totally surrender. We have to be willing to be led. We have to be willing to trust in Him. We have to resist the temptation to kind of go our own way. Even in that, though, Jesus paints the picture of the shepherd who leads the flock of a hundred for the one that's lost. He provides all our needs. We lack nothing. So we have to choose. Solomon, David's son, wise king, Grow trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. We have to choose the path of the sheep. We have to choose to have our needs met. Which is to stand against the philosophy of this world, the wisdom of this world, which is to say that we need to be our sufficiency. We need to take care of our needs. You need to be strong. You need to be able to take care of everything yourself. That's not how God created you. You will never self-actualize in this way. As a matter of fact, people kill themselves when they've reached this place of self-actualization if it's outside, if it does not include God. Because you weren't created that way. You're created the sheep. 
So God's love for you can meet all your needs, if you're willing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Most of all, I thank you that you are our good shepherd, and you are an awesome host, and that you provide all of our needs. Help us not to be foolish and to um, rebel against you and, and seek after things and think that somehow we can provide for our needs. Help us to realize that we need a benevolent leader. We need a shepherd. And you are the good shepherd who's laid down his life for us. Amen. Amen. And God richly bless each and every one of you. Remember that God loves you.